And we're talking about the mystery of the manger. The mystery of the manger. There are thousands, if not millions, of uh, mysteries in the world. Several years ago, uh, in an article of Live or Live, excuse me, Science, they offered 10 of the biggest historical mysteries of all time. That's in their opinion, of course. I'm sure there's a lots of debate on their top 10, but here's a few of their top 10. Who was and is Jack the Ripper? And where is Cleopatra's tomb? Where is the money pit on Oak Island, Nova Scotia? Uh, the History Channel has been trying to answer that question for years. Uh, what happened to the Ark of the Covenant was another one of their top 10. What uh, was there a city called Atlantis was another one of their top 10. And I found this one interesting. What was Jesus like? That was in their top 10 as well. Six really big, mysterious questions. And without a doubt, we could easily argue that there are countless other questions that we could add to that top 10. But whenever pondering Advent, this is purely in my opinion, there are four really big mysteries concerning the manger scene. And we're going to look at those four mysteries over the next four Sundays as we dive into Advent Sunday. And I would argue that the biggest mystery surrounding the manger involves is the virgin birth. The biggest mystery surrounding the manger, uh, the manger excuse me, is, involves the virgin birth. There is an element of mystery that surrounds the holy conception of Jesus. In our 2020 uh, Evans series, whenever you hear the word mystery, we are implying this. So over the next four weeks, whenever you hear the word mystery, a mystery is something difficult or impossible to understand or explain. It is something difficult or impossible to understand or explain. The holy conception of Jesus is a mystery that is difficult and perhaps maybe even impossible to fully understand. That's why people struggle with the holy conception or the virgin birth. They wonder if the virgin birth is even truthful and is it even humanly or even divinely possible for a virgin birth to happen. Richard Dawkins, a famous scientist that you may have heard of, he's since passed away, routinely expressed his opinion about religion and Christianity. He's on record as saying this, the virgin birth, the resurrection, the, ra the raising of Lazarus, even the Old Testament miracles are, uh, all are freely used for religious propaganda, and they are very effective with an audience of unsophisticates and children. I was like, ouch, Darwin, couldn't you have been, or excuse me, Dawkins, couldn't you have been a little nicer than that, like unsophisticates and children? Dawkins refused to believe in the mysteries of God. He just absolutely refused to believe in the mysteries of God. But in the same breath, he had no trouble believing in the mysteries and theories of the universe that he tried to explain, but were often unexplainable mysteries. There are many people who question the virgin birth. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, not on Dawkins' end, but on the opposite end of the spectrum, there are many of us who have never struggled with the mystery surrounding the virgin birth of Jesus. Madeline Lingell wisely said this, she said, the virgin birth has never been a major stumbling block in my struggle with Christianity. It's far less mind-boggling than the power of all creation stooping so low has become one of us. So she, her, her issue was, I, I can't even imagine why God would want to be one of us. Why would he even want to come to planet earth? I have no trouble with the virgin birth. I just don't know why God would want to be one of us. There are many people who have no problem believing in the virgin birth of Jesus. But let's move beyond what other people think. 
And for just a moment, for you who are in this room and those who are watching online this morning, I, I don't want you to think what other people think. I want you to think, what do you think? What are your thoughts? What are your beliefs on the virgin birth of Jesus? That's all that matters in the next few minutes for the rest of your life. What do you think, what do you believe of the virgin birth? Not what do other people think or what do other people believe, but what do you think? What do you believe? Let's dive into this mystery of the manger. It's found in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start reading. There's a lot of verses, but we're going to plow through them here this morning. We're going to start at 26 and at 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, in verse 27 to a virgin named Mary. So here's where the story starts. To a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, so she's not even married yet, a descendant of King David. In verse 28, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. Uh, you are a blessed lady. The Lord is with you. In verse 29, we find the story goes on. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Who wouldn't be confused and disturbed? In verse 30 of Luke chapter 1. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. Now that's important. Um, you need to highlight that. We're going to come back to this. For you have found favor with God. Then in verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you, and you will name him, say this with me, church, you'll name him Jesus. And then verse 32, he will be very, a very, he will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, then in verse 33, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Then in verse 34, we find this, this, um, these words, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? So this is a very logical question for Mary to ask. I am a virgin. In verse 35, so the story is coming together. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be what church? It'll be holy. And he will be called the Son of God. Then in verse 36, what's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son. What was the son's name, church? John the Baptist, and he and is now in her sixth month. So John's not quite born yet. In verse 37, <clears throat> for the word of God will never fail. And all God's people said, amen, for the word of God will never fail. Then in verse 38, here's where we're going to conclude the story. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. It's just a remarkable response to what's just happened to her. May everything that you have said about me do what? Come true. And then the angel left her. In Luke 1, the message was simple. You're going to become pregnant. That's a concept that we can all understand. But in the simplisticness of the message contained a com complex reality that mystified Mary. How can this happen? For I am a virgin. Whether we want to believe it or not, and whether we understand it or not, I'd like to just state this for the record this morning, that history and life and our future hangs in the balance of these 13 verses. We may read this story and say, this has no implication on my life at all. It doesn't matter what I believe about the virgin birth. It doesn't matter. This, this is just a nice little Christmas story. I would like to just stay 
say for a moment here that these 13 verses, everything hinges on these 13 verses. Everything. The past, the present, and the future. Packed in these 13 verses is either hope for humanity or hopelessness. Packed in these 13 verses is either the hope for humanity or hopelessness. In fact, I would go so far as to say this morning that when it comes to the virgin birth of Jesus, there is no middle ground. We either fully embrace it or we completely disregard it. There's no middle ground between, uh, when it comes to the virgin birth. There's no middle ground when it comes to the conception of Jesus by the way of the Holy Spirit. We either fully embrace it or we totally disregard it. If there is no virgin birth, then there is no Jesus. And if there is no Jesus, there is no church. And we may as well just flick the lights off and go on with our life here at church. TV talk show, a TV talk show host Larry King, when he was alive, was asked one day, who would you like to interview from human history? Of all the people of human history, who would you like to interview? And he said this. This is what Larry King said. I would like to interview Jesus Christ. I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born because the answer to that question would define history. So here's Larry King, who's, he has interviewed hosts of people, lots and lots of people. He said, the top person from history that I would like to interview is Jesus, and I would like to ask him this one question, were you born of a virgin? Because all of history is hinged on that. Hopefully, someone told Larry King before he died that Jesus was indeed born of a virgin. When reading Luke 1, we discover that the virgin birth is both mysterious and miraculous. It is both mysterious and it is miraculous. The virgin birth was, was miraculous because it was a one-time, never-to-be-repeated miracle. It has only happened once in the history of mankind, despite what you may think or what you read. Researchers at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill analyzed data from thousands of young women over the course of 15 years, a decade and a half. And nearly one out of every hundred young girls said, we've conceived with never having sexual relations. So 1% of all those that they interviewed over 15 years said, we're pregnant, but we don't know how. The researchers cited such things as fallible memory, delusion, denial, deception, and wishful thinking as reasons for claiming virgin birth status. But neither did any of, the, of those who were interviewed say what Mary claimed in Luke chapter 1. One in 100 may claim virgin birth status but only one in the yearbook of human history has ever been truly able to make such a claim of a virgin birth. The virgin birth of Jesus is not a statistic. It is and was a miracle. I believe miracles prove the existence of God. If miracles exist, then what? God exists. If miracles exist, then God exists. Here's the difficulty with miracles, though. They're extremely hard to explain. 
and they defy human logic. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever heard, read, seen, actually witnessed a miracle? It defies human logic. Go to the hospital and the doctors will say, it's a miracle. Why do they say it's a miracle? Because I can't explain it to you. It's beyond medical reasoning. It's beyond scientific data. It's, it's just beyond everything. Like It's a miracle. It's unexplainable. It defies human logic. So let me explain for a moment. Let's just use me for a guinea pig. I'll be the example this morning. In my human logic, now you may have a different story, but a different logic, but in my human logic, if I was in charge of the arrival of Jesus, okay, God taps me on the shoulder and goes, Scott, you are responsible for the arrival of Jesus. You set it all up. Here's my logic. I would have selected a respectable, established family in Jerusalem. Not in Bethlehem, and not in Nazareth, but in the place to be was Jerusalem for Israel. It's the, it's the Mecca, it's the, it's the center of Israel. I would have established a family in Jerusalem to be the recipients of the arrival of Jesus, and I would have chosen not a virgin, I would have chosen a mother who had at least given birth to six children. That's my human logic. But instead... God trusts a family that's not even a family yet. They're not even married. They're engaged. And God trusts a young teenager who has never experienced motherhood to deliver the Son of God. Like that defies human logic in my mind. What we fail to understand is that God is not limited to working within our value system. And he often operates outside of how we think and what we value. God, in Luke chapter 1, reaches outside of the temple. He reaches outside of the religious systems of the day. He even reaches outside of the political parties in the Roman Empire of the day. God did the unimaginable and unthinkable making the virgin birth both mysterious and miraculous. In today's mystery of the manger, I think the following three questions will help us better understand why the virgin birth. First question we want to ask is why Mary? I think that's a logical question. I think that's a good question to ask. Like, why Mary? Of, of everyone of the human population of that time, why was Mary the one? Maybe the question should be, why not Mary? Why not Mary? Mary was an ordinary girl living in an ordinary place called Nazareth and living under the suffocating Roman impression. Why not Mary? The, bi the story in Luke 1 is consistent with the rest of the Bible. When we look at Luke chapter 1, we can't say that Luke chapter 1 is inconsistent with the rest of the Bible. No, Luke chapter 1, the story of Mary and the conception by the Holy Spirit and the, and the birth of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1 and 2 is consistent with the rest of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It is not inconsistent. It is very consistent. The promise offered to marry would be life-changing. You see, God always, always selects the disregarded and the overlooked to do the miraculous. Ever notice that? 
God always uses the disregarded and overlooked to do the miraculous. Whenever the promises of God are given in Genesis to Revelation, whenever God's promises are given to people and miracles happen, people, people's lives change. But they are ordinary people. They are people who are overlooked that the miraculous happened to. People like Moses and Abraham and Jacob and Joshua and David and Rahab and Esther and now Mary. I mean, Luke 1 is consistent with what was happening in the Old Testament. I'm also continually amazed at how the hope of Jesus Christ changes everything for the ordinary. For those living in an environment that doesn't have much going for it. For a person whose future is uncertain and perhaps suffocating under some type of oppression, the hope and promises of Jesus changes everything in our life. In Luke 1, the promise to Mary becomes the hope of Jesus to everyone else. The promise to Mary becomes the hope of Jesus to everyone else. Why Mary? Why not Mary? It holds to the consistency of Scripture. Why Mary? Well, Mary fulfills prophecy. Look at what Isaiah said in 7.14, hundreds of years before Jesus shows up. At the right, all right then, the Lord Himself will give, you the sign, will give you the sign. Look, say this with me, church. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him... Emmanuel, which means what, church? God is with us. Mary was fulfilling prophecy from Isaiah 7.14. Not only did Mary fulfill prophecy, but she also found favor with God. Let's go back to that verse in Luke chapter 1, verse 28, where we find the story on, on um, revealing itself or unfolding. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, say this with me, church, favored woman, the Lord is with you. A more direct translation from the Greek on that word favored would actually mean you, you have been greatly graced by God. So when we see this word greetings, favored woman, it actually means you have been greatly graced by God. Grace in this context means this. Grace refers to the condition of being given or shown favor. Why was Mary graced by God? Why was she graced by God? Like, why? It's a great question. Can I ask you a question? Why is any of us ever graced by God? Did Mary deserve grace? No. Do we deserve grace? What's the answer, church? No. Did Mary fully understand grace in Luke chapter 1? No. Her simple reply was, I don't understand this, but may whatever you said to me come true. I am what? Willing. That's the only part she understood. I'm willing. She didn't understand the details of this was going to be the Son of God. She didn't understand the details that she was, going to, she was going to give birth to the Messiah. She didn't understand the details that this child would eventually heal the lame and make the blind see and walk on water and turn the water into wine and die on the cross and rise up again three days later. I'm sure she didn't fully understand any of that in this moment, in this context. 
One of my favorite Christmas songs comes, from, uh, comes out of pointed questions. And maybe you've heard the song before. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? And Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? And did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? And I like this one right here. That sleeping child you're holding is the great what? I am. Mary, did you know? Did she know all of this in Luke chapter 1? I don't think so. But she was highly favored, graced by the presence of God, and God was going to do the miraculous in her life. Why Mary? It's not a clear, concise answer that many people will like. Why Mary? Because God chose Mary, that's why. I still can't give you a clear and concise answer as to why God chose me to do what I'm doing. I have no idea some days why God chose me. And I'm sure Mary had no idea why God chose her. But she was willing. And God blessed her and graced her. And those who are willing to do the work of God will be graced by the presence of God. Amen? Another question from the mystery of the manger is not only why Mary, but why the Holy Spirit? Why the Holy Spirit? Because without the Holy Spirit, the virgin birth is not, is not possible. Through the Bible, whenever the Holy Spirit is present and accounted for, the impossible becomes the possible. There are three specific moments when the Holy Spirit showed up in a special way in the first five books of the New Testament. The very first place that we see it is right here, what we've been talking about, the conception of Jesus. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and so the baby to be born will be what, church? Holy. Mary conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. In this supernatural event, in this miraculous event, the sinless Son of God enters the world as both divine and human. Herbert Lockyer uh, communicates this. He said, In the moment of conception, the Holy Spirit took deity and humanity and fusing them together made possible the Lord Jesus, who came as the God-man, the God-man, the Spirit was the love knot between our Lord's two natures. Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. The holy conception was a singular, powerful, invisible, immediate operation of the Holy Ghost, whereby a virgin was beyond the law of nature, empowered to conceive and give birth to the holy child of God. The second time the Holy Spirit shows up in a special way is the baptism of Jesus. In the baptism of Jesus, in this moment, the Holy Spirit rests on Jesus, making or marking Him as the beginning of His public ministry. It was John the Baptist who gave this testimony concerning Jesus. He said in John chapter 1, verse 32, Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon Jesus, Him. In verse 33, I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with what church? The Holy Spirit. And then verse 34, I saw this happen to Jesus. 
John the Baptist, he's standing here going, I saw this happen to Jesus. So I testify that he is the what? The chosen one of God. The Holy Spirit clearly identifies Jesus as the promised Messiah at his baptism. The third time the Holy Spirit shows up in a special way in the first five books of the Bible is the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost. The third important Holy Spirit moment happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. So after the birth of Jesus, after the death of Jesus, after the resurrection of Jesus, after the, re- the ascension of Jesus, the Holy Spirit shows up in a unique way to all those gathered in the upper room. And then after the upper room, they go out into the streets and miracles are happening as they are speaking in tongues and people are coming to Jesus. It is a miraculous event, all empowered by the Holy Spirit. We see this in Acts chapter 2, verse 33. Now, He is exalted to the place of the highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as as He had promised, gave Him the, say this with me, church, Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. Why the Holy Spirit? Why the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit takes the impossible and makes it possible. We have three accounts of that happening here in in the five books of the New Testament, the first five books of the New Testament. We see it in the conception of Jesus. We see it in the baptism of Jesus. And then after Jesus has ascended and sitting at the right hand, God the Father, He sends the Holy Spirit to fall on those who are in the upper room to fill them. And those afterwards are filled with the Spirit and great signs and wonders and miracles are happening all because of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who takes the natural and makes it supernatural. It is the Holy Spirit that takes the natural and makes it supernatural. Takes a natural 16-year-old girl who is a virgin and does the supernatural. That's the Holy Spirit that does that. It's the Holy Spirit who takes some uneducated men filled with the Spirit, begins teaching the the Word of God, and thousands and thousands of people come to know Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit that in the natural moment where there's decay and death and disease that will bring a miracle, the supernatural. Sadly, the Holy Spirit is often forgotten about in the virgin birth story. We talk about Mary, we talk about Jesus. But we often overlook the power of the Holy Spirit in this moment in Luke chapter 1. In our own life, I am sad to tell you today, we often overlook the power of the Holy Spirit. We often forget about the importance of the Spirit at work in us. Paul reminds us of the power of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8, verse 5, and then in verse 6. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but, say this with me, church, those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that pleases the Spirit. Then in verse 6, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to what, church? Life and peace. Are you willing to be controlled by the Holy Spirit? Mary was willing. Are you? Here's what Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May everything that you have said about me come true. 
Today's final question from the mystery of the manger. Why Mary? Why the Holy Spirit? We're back to this question right here. Why the virgin birth? Why the virgin birth? To me, the answer is very clear and concise. You may not like the answer that I'm going to give to you because it may not have enough depth for you. But here's the clear, concise answer in my mind. Why the virgin birth? Here it is. For you and for me. For you and for me. Remember what John writes in John 3, 16, 17? For this is how God, what? Loved the world. That He gave His one and only Son, Jesus, so that everyone who believes in Him will not, what? Perish, but have eternal life. I love 17 as almost, almost, almost as much as I love 16. God sent His Son into the world not to what? Judge the world, but to save the world through Him. Why the virgin birth? There is only one word that can describe it. Love. God loves you, and God loves me. God wants us to be restored. He wants us to be renewed. He wants us to live eternally with Him. That's why He sent Jesus into this world as a sacrifice for our sins so that we would not have to die in sin, but could live victorious through Jesus over sin. Why the virgin birth? Love. In the 1990s, early 1990s, actually in the late 1880s, but more so in the 90s, missionaries were openly traveling to Russia with the gospel. They were flooding into Russia. One of the missionaries at the time recounts a story about teaching the Christmas story to some children at an orphanage. Everyone was listening in amazement because no one in that orphanage had ever heard the Christmas story of Jesus being born in a manger. Can you imagine? I, I can't even imagine that. But no child in this orphanage had heard the story. And none of the workers or those who were responsible for the, the kids in that orphanage had ever heard the story either. And so they're just, the missionaries are just telling the story of Jesus' birth. And they're all on the edge of their seats listening intently to this story that they had never heard before. Now I could paraphrase what the missionaries' words were on that day, but I think it carries more weight if I actually read you what the missionary wrote. We gave the children some materials and instruction and instructed them how to create the manger scene that they had just heard about. All went well until I got to the table where little Mishra sat. He looked to be about six years old and had finished his project, and as I looked at the little boy's manger, I was startled to see not one but two babies in the manger. I called for a translator and to ask why. Like, this is perplexing. I, I never taught that there was two babies in the manger. And so, through the translator, the child begins to retell the story to me almost word for word as I had told the child and all the children that day. But when we got to the part, when he got to the part where Mary put the baby Jesus in the manger, the child's story then began to change. 
He began to ad-lib his story. And the missionary went on to say, or excuse me, the missionary begins to, continues to write what the little boy said. When Mary laid the baby in the manger, here's the words of the child. Jesus looked at me and asked me if I had a place to stay. And I told him I have no ma or no pa. So I don't have any place to stay. Then Jesus told me I could stay with him. So I got into the manger. And then Jesus looked at me as I'm in the manger with Jesus. And he tells me that I can stay with him forever. For the first time in that child's life, found someone who loved him and would stay with him forever. Jesus. That's a Holy Spirit moment. Taking the miraculous and the mysterious story of the virgin birth and being real to this child. The mystery of the virgin birth shows us the power of God at work through Mary delivering the hope of the world to humanity, to you and to me and to everyone who believes. The Son of God will set us free promise to Mary in Luke 1 becomes. That's why everything hinges on those 13 verses. Because the promise to Mary in Luke 1 becomes the hope of the world to everyone else. The question is this morning, do you believe? I believe that you have to either fully embrace the virgin birth or completely disregarded. Because the completely disregarded is, say there, is to say there are no miracles, that there is no miraculous, and that there are, if there are no miracles, then there is no God. I believe. Do you? Jesus wants you to crawl into that manger with him where he will look you in the eye and say, I will never leave you or forsake you. You're mine. That's why Jesus came to this world. That's why Mary conceived of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, we thank you for your tremendous love. We thank you. And we're reminded of that in John 3, 16 and 17 of just why you came into this world is because of love. You loved us so much. And for some of us in this room and watching online today, there is no question we probably still have questions about the virgin birth. But it's the mystery and the miraculous that leaves us with this, some things we just can't explain. It's by faith we accept them. And when we do, we then see how much God is at work. Lord, this morning we pray that as we wrestle with these mysteries over the next four weeks, it will give us greater insight into who you are and why, Jesus, you came to planet Earth. It's for us. It's for everyone in this room. It's for everyone listening online this morning. May we trust you 
and believe in you because you are the hope of the world. You change everything. And Jesus, when you show up and your Holy Spirit shows up, we change. And we feel your closeness and your power and your authority. And so today, we pledge allegiance to you. Help our unbelief to become belief.